0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Great. Alright. Matthew 18. Okay, that was set up, but I don't know where the rest of the crowd went. (laughs) Yeah, I I wasn't kidding about the ball, though. Um, Anyway... Uh, that was set up, don't freak out. It's like, hey, this is kind of a weird church, man. People start yelling at their pastor before it gets ready. Uh, We're going to be looking at Matthew 18 and how to actually confront someone. And uh, these guys followed a pattern. Uh, One person approached me, and uh, then two or three witnesses, and then supposedly the rest of my community group that suddenly got glue on their pants uh, didn't uh, join the rest of them in making a chorus for that. Because I know that every one of you loves when I finish earlier rather than going longer. But I just wanted to bring that in there. So why don't we open our Bibles? Matthew 18, you're probably already there. And uh, we're going to read verses 15 up to 18. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Have you ever been part of a confrontation? This is, uh, this is an example of church conflict. You're wondering, what does Star Trek have to do with church conflict? But if you knew anything about languages, the uh, Scottish word for church is Kirk. And, uh, he's yelling, so this is a picture of church conflict. You get it? Kirk. Church? Okay, great. You can turn that off now, guys. Thanks. All right. I just wanted to throw that on there. Now let's get serious. Have you ever been a part of a crucial conversation with somebody, or have you ever been in a confrontation with someone or in a church setting? I think many of us really don't like confrontation in any way, shape, or form. I know that I really don't like to tell people, hey, I see something in your life and uh, it's something that you probably have to change and it's something that you have to work on because usually you hear words like, who are you to judge me? Or you don't understand what's going on or just forget it and people just leave. I can remember the first church that I was at, we had a crucial conversation with a couple because of a situation that they were in, and they just said, you know what, there's other people in this church that are doing the same thing that we're doing, and yet you don't come down on them at all. We're out of here. We're leaving. And so I don't like, personally, to confront people. And yet Jesus here is talking about the necessity of actually having that crucial conversation, that confrontation, that admonishing that Scripture calls us to do. I think when we're talking about reaching out to one another, reaching across, it's very easy for us to think that it's only about encouraging one another. But I think one aspect that we often miss out on is that admonishment, that challenge, that crucial conversation or confrontation that really will actually deepen the relationship because we're actually working against sin in our lives together as a community. Now, let's see what Jesus says here. He says this, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, here's what I want us to see. Even though confrontation is something that we might not like to or want to do, it's something that we actually have to do. And Jesus here is saying, not only should you do it, but really in the end, it's valuable. It is worth it. It is worth having this conversation with the other person. In a sense, it shows that you care. For instance, if our little Gianni started playing with matches and actually had the ability to light them in the house, while she's playing in her crib, do you think I should go up to her and encourage her and say, wow, for a two-year-old kid, you really know how to light matches. That's pretty good. What would you think of my parenting? You'd probably think, what an idiot. The kid's going to burn the house down. What I should do is say, you need to stop that, because if you don't, you're going to burn the house down. In a similar manner, when we see one of our brothers who has either sinned against us or is committing some sin, if we really care about them, we will actually admonish or confront them because we love them. Now, in the original languages, it says, if your brother sins, and other transcripts say against you. So I talk whether we see someone else who is actually sinning, not necessarily against us. Maybe you see a brother in Christ at work, and uh, at work they're always stealing stuff from the office and taking it home. They're not necessarily sinning against you. They're, They're sinning. So you could confront them using this, or maybe they've offended you, and you can also confront them as well using what we're talking about. But in the end, what is the basis or purpose or reason for this confrontation? Well, Jesus says it's to win them over, to restore them. And let's get past that. Now, let's ask a question. Same house. Which one would you prefer to live in? This one or this one? I am I pointing that way? I should be pointing this way, shouldn't I? <laughs> kind of be like a weatherman, don't I? With the fake clouds in. This one, the old ratty one, or this nice newly painted refreshed one? Now, I don't know what it looks like on the inside. And if like the little kids were here, some little kid would probably say there's mice on the inside. But from the outside, which one would you want to live in? Well, all of us are going to say this one here on the right side. Because it looks so much nicer. Which one would you like to take a bath in? Because it's a bathhouse. The one on the left or the one on the right? Well, it's obviously we'd like to be on the one on the right. Both of these homes and this bathhouse have been restored. So something was lost. And you could turn it off now, guys. But now something has been restored. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, if you want to be wealthy, how many of you guys want to be wealthy here? Most of us want to be wealthy. But Jesus says, if you really want to be wealthy, challenge, admonish, confront your brother. And it says here that you will win him over. And the idea of winning him over in the original language is to accumulate wealth, to gain something, to become rich. So Jesus is saying, if you see your brother sinning, or if your brother or sister has sinned against you and you want to be rich, then you go and you pursue them and win them over by challenging or admonishing or confronting them, letting them see that they're sinning so that they will turn from that and be restored back to fellowship. So the purpose, as Jesus is trying to say here, of these confrontations that we have with people is not revenge. You know, it's not like, hey, you hurt me. So I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna get in your face and I'm gonna tell you straight up, fool, this is what you did to me. That's not the purpose. That's not going to them in private and saying, You really messed me up. You think you didn't you mess with me? You messing with me? You guys remember that from a, what if that one taxi taxi, right? Some of you probably haven't don't even know what the movie is. I mean, I've only been on a taxi once in my life. But anyway. That's not the idea. It's not revenge. And, and and when we think about church discipline, it's not to kick people out either. You know, when you hear the words, our church believes in church discipline. Oh, one of those churches that kicks people out that they don't like because they don't agree with them. No, that's not church discipline. Jesus says church discipline is the hope to restore them. I don't, have you guys ever seen the TV show Last Man Standing? It's, it's a new one by Tim Allen. We've only watched it a couple of times. we watched it on the Internet and he's. Talking to his kids about drugs, and he does that one frying pan with egg illustration. Does anyone remember that from a long time ago? And he's, you know, because like the younger generation, like, what is that? That doesn't make sense. Your, your, your brain on drugs is like a fried egg. Why get into that? Well, we tell kids that because. We want them to see that when they go down that route, it is not good for them. And because we care for you and because we love you, we go out of our way to tell you this because we don't want to see your life ruined. It's kind of like parents when they tell their children, listen, avoid sleeping around until you get married because it can hurt your life. It may take away from your college education. You have to drop out of school and take care of a kid. Raising children is not easy. We don't tell our children that because we want to be prunes or prudes or whatever you want to call it. We tell them that because we care. We care. So confrontation or admonishing someone or challenging someone is there because we care. We're really not trying to win an argument. We're really not trying to hurt people's feelings. We're not trying to embarrass them. And we're not even trying to play God. We're not judging you. We want to restore you. We're not saying we're better than you because each and every one of us should realize that ultimately we're all in a very similar boat. We may not do the same things, but without the grace of God, we're in the same place. So Jesus here in verse 15 is pretty saying, If your brother sins against you or just sins, whatever the manuscript will say, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And when you've done that, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Here's the thing. I also see here as an attitude is humility. Humility. The humility to approach the person with the desire to win them over. So if there is something that someone that you see in someone else's life that is a sin or they've sinned against you, it's a sense of humility that comes that I want to see a restored relationship. I'm not better than you. I don't want to win an argument. I don't want to have a fight. I just want to see you reconciled either to Christ or to me. And that takes a lot of humility because what we're saying is I'm going to forgive you. The end game is I'm going to extend forgiveness to you because I want to see that restoration occur. That takes humility. But it also takes humility on the other person's part. Have you ever been confronted and become defensive? If you're married, you know immediately what I'm talking about, right? Because sometimes your spouse will confront you and you're like, Whoa, hey, hey, no, that's not what I meant. And don't even start interpreting what I'm saying. I'm going to tell you what I meant and you're going to listen. Is that a humble attitude? No, not at all. What it's going to do is escalate the issue. When we're looking at our future as a church and people come and they admonish you or they confront you, the encouragement is to respond with humility. They may be wrong. They may be seeing something that really is not what happened or the way it happened or the motives in which it happened. But they may also be right. And the fact that someone has come to you with humility and a sense of love and says, hey, I see something in your life that is worrisome or troublesome or even wrong. I'm going to put our relationship on the line because I'm willing to risk that because I want to reach out to you. So one day you're sitting in community group and a husband is picking on his wife and he's making fun of her and he's insulting her and he's doing all of these things. If the community group sits around and goes, ha, ha, "Ha that's really funny, dude, I'm going to use that on my wife sometime. Not good. But to come up to him afterwards and say, hey, listen, I don't know if you guys are having problems in your relationship or not. But I noticed the way that you treated your wife today really was not honoring at all. That is a statement of love, not only for you, but also for your spouse. Because if your kids see that you disrespect your wife like that, it's going to be the same thing. So it is actually an action of love. So when Jesus is talking about church discipline, he's not saying to them, Hey, go around rebuking people for the fun of it. And there are people who love to rebuke people. But go with a heart of love and humility Because you care for your brother or sister who's doing this thing that is wrong and you want to restore or reconcile them back to Christ or the relationship that you have or with the church. That motivation is huge. And if we as a church can learn how to admonish one another because we love one another and really care about one another, a lot of the defensiveness is blown away because there's a sense of trust that I know that you want what is best for me. So the purpose in admonishing one another or correcting one another, as Jesus says, when we sin or sin against each other, is that we might see restoration or reconciliation happen. So now the question is, how do you do this? Jesus is going to give us four steps. Quite simply, he's basically going to say, if you're going to do this, do it right. So the first thing he says is, do it in private. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Just between the two of you means just between the two of you. It doesn't mean post it on Facebook or Twitter. Hey, it was a community group today. So-and-so was mean to his wife and I just think it was wrong, but I wanted to let everyone know so we could pray for him. No, does not work. Go to the person and approach them and say, hey, this is what I saw. I see something that I might not be understanding fully, and maybe I missed something, but I want you to know, this is what I observed, I think it's wrong, and you need to work on it. Because the idea then is ultimately that it's between the two of you, because if you have misunderstood what a person has said or done, then you've falsely accused them, which gets to be a problem, but if you come with humility and approach them one-on-one, you can end the whole issue right there. In the end, in humility, you might walk away and say, wow, you know, I really didn't see what you were trying to do. Now it makes sense. That's great. For instance, when I was a young believer, man, I'm going to say almost like 25 years ago, I know that I look like about 27, so you're wondering what I'm doing in a bar at two years of age, because that's where the story's going. But I went to a bar with a bunch of my friends. And if someone had seen me go in there from the first church that I was at, this was, I was at another church at this time, they would have said, wow, He really doesn't get it spiritually because this guy's going to a bar and he's playing pool in a bar. He's definitely lost it. That's what they would have said at the first church. They would have seen that. I went to the bar with a friend who didn't know Christ and it was a good place to talk because even in the midst of that conversation, he said, this is one place where we talk to one another heart to heart. See, because sometimes you have to go to these places. Now, I didn't drink there. I just played pool, and I talked with my friend. But if someone sees me going into the bar and says I've suddenly slipped away spiritually, but don't understand that I actually went in there for a spiritual Christ-like purpose, they've missed the point. So if they run off and tell everybody else, hey, Pastor Frank's going to the bars, suddenly everybody thinks I'm a drunk, and I don't even drink, which doesn't make sense. So the idea is go one-on-one to get the matter resolved, because one, you may have misunderstood, but if you haven't misunderstood, it's still between the two of you, and you should keep it between the two of you. And in the end, if your brother or sister says, you know what, you are right, and I am wrong, thank you for loving me, and I'm going to turn from that, all done, issue's over. But there's a couple things here that Jesus wants us to really see. He says, go and show him his fault. The idea of go is to get in motion, get going, do it now, pursue them. Don't be distracted. In other words, it's like you're hunting after someone. I've seen you sinned or you've offended me. A lot of us, when we get offended, what do we do? Oh, man, so and so has offended me. I'm so mad. I'm steamed. And we just hold it in there. And uh, we come to Sunday service. And then we see so-and-so standing up there. And they got their hands. And they're just worshiping the Lord. And they're deep in praise. And you're looking at them thinking, how can they raise their hands and worship when they have offended me? That dirty, rotten sinner. Shame on them. Right? And we get there and it just builds and it builds and we see them every Sunday and we get more disgusted with them because they're just having fun loving God and you're just struggling with God because you don't know if you should forgive them. Well, instead of just sitting in that, what Jesus is saying is pursue them. Not to get in their face and say, how dare you? But to get in their face and say, I love you and our relationship is broken and I want to get it reconciled. Because this brokenness in the midst of the relationship is actually loss. Because remember, Jesus said, you want to gain your brother, you want to accumulate wealth. But if there's a broken relationship, there's loss. What's lost? Well, your relationship with God is lost. I mean, in a sense, because you haven't lost it completely, but you're not in full relationship with them. So that's a loss for you. You're not in relationship with your brother and sister in Christ. That's a loss for them. If they haven't sinned against you, but they are in the midst of sin, it's a loss for church because they aren't able to be fully used by God. In the end, there's this great loss that's there. And Jesus says, go pursue them, hunt them, chase them down. Don't let a moment go by without coming up to them and saying, hey. Brother, sister, you offended me. Or, hey, I see something that's wrong in your life and I just love you so much, I just want you to know what's going on. Go and show them. Be earnest. The idea is is to be earnest or convincing and get the point across and say, hey, the way you treat your wife When these single guys look at that, that's how they're going to treat their wives. The way you treat your wife, your kids look at that, that's what they're going to hold on to, and that's how they're going to end up treating their wife or how, as a wife, they're going to be treated. Do you want your daughter to be treated that way? I mean, if you want to get a guy, talk about his daughter, man. You know what I mean? Like, this is what's going to happen to your daughter. Boom, suddenly, woo, man, nobody's going to touch my daughter like that, Right? Aren't we like that? I mean, when I was growing up in high school, all these guys were like, wait, I can't wait to get this girl. I can't wait to get there. And now that they're married, they're like, ain't nobody touching my daughter. Don't come near them. And we all tell our daughters, you know, you're going to wear a burqa when you go out and you're going to do all this stuff so nobody can see what you look like, right? That's why we come to them and we try to get the point across and convince them the way you treat your wife is wrong. And you have got to take that to heart because you don't want your daughter to be treated like that convince them be so jesus says go pursue them show them be convincing why why because we are exposing them to the light of what's wrong in their life and in our humility realizing we could be in a similar spot we love them enough we love their family enough to say we are going to do what is right so that in the end you can have a relationship that is pure and strong with God, with those of us here in the community and able to be used by God as you reach out into the community. That's the best way because in this way, what we're really seeing is that Jesus' biggest concern for people who are going to reach across to one another is good, clean relationships, relationships that are right relationships. Any relationship is going to have problems. There's always going to be confrontation or conversation that's going to be needing to be happening. But in all of this, Jesus wants us to win people over, to accumulate great wealth. Because when people are restored, that feeling that you have, that experience of God that you have is so much better than not being able to experience God. So step one, talk to them in private. If that doesn't work, Jesus goes on and says this. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, uh, let's see. Nope, not that one. Not that one. Nope, not that one. I don't know how that one got in there. Okay, I do. I put it in there just to make it a little lighter. This one here, intervention. This is an intervention. Well, I mean, I don't know what they're doing. They're probably just sitting around with a picture for a Google image or whatever. So it's not a real intervention. So if the little kids were here, I'm a little nervous. You guys can turn it off now. Uh, the reason I like this is because if you look at the faces of some of those ladies, you see the concern that they have. They're not there to gang up. They're not sitting around going, you blew it. Ha ha ha. We told you not to date that guy and you still did, and he's on his third girlfriend and you're still with him. Get away from No they're not like that. They're all sad together. Uh, This here, what Jesus is saying is if you go with two or three witnesses refers back to the Old Testament where you always brought two or three witnesses with you when you confronted somebody because you didn't want somebody saying the he said, she said sort of thing where so-and-so goes, this is the real story. This is what happened. And the other person goes, this is the real story. And this is what happened. I mean, you know what happens when you get married, right? When you get married and you have an argument, the husband says, this is what happened. This doesn't happen in our house, by the way. And then the wife goes, no, this is really what happened. And sometimes I look at my wife and say, are we there together? Cause I'm not getting that. The idea is when you bring another two or three witnesses in, they are there to observe what's happening in the reconciliation, not to gang up on one another. So if we're sitting there, my wife and I, and we're having an argument, and there are two or three other witnesses that are there, what they can say is then, oh, now I see what the problem is. You misunderstood him. Or, you know what, you really did wrong, and you didn't really need to see that. So the two or three witnesses are there not to gang up, but they are to be affirming what is actually happening and taking place. Because they may go and they say, you know what? You're confronting this person, but we look at your attitude and your attitude's poor. It's bad. I mean, it's really bad. So you really shouldn't be the one saying that they're doing wrong. You're the one who should be. Or they could by say, hey, they've told you the truth. It looks like they really care for you and love for you. You need to change. And from there we see the two or three witnesses are important because they give us the idea of what really is right and what really is wrong. But Jesus goes on and gives a third step. He then says this, now go tell the church. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Tell it to the church. Wow, isn't that a great thing? How many would love to to say that? Tell it to the church. Can I be honest with you? I have been excommunicated from a church before in my past. First church I went to, they kicked me out. Yes, they did. You they, look like oh, they kicked him out. What you, what'd you do, man? You're thinking, right? You're judging me. <laughs> no, no, no. They, they kicked me out. I couldn't believe it. I got a letter in the mail that said, you are no longer a member of our church. Well, my response was, I don't care because I'm a member of another church. See, their form of church discipline was punishment. They wanted to punish me. As a new believer in Christ, I signed this covenant which said I was supposed to come to church twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday. Well, when I stopped going to the church and they take attendance, they write me a letter about six to eight months later and say, Hey, you haven't been here, so we had a big church meeting and kicked you out. I was like, Huh? What? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, why? What didn't they do? Well, no one ever called. No one ever called and say, hey, you know what? We noticed that you're not here on Sundays and Wednesdays. We really care about you. We're thinking maybe you're slipping away or something's happened to you. Maybe I died or I'm sick. Nobody called. Nothing. And then nobody came two or three witnesses. Absolutely, Just a little letter in the mail about eight months later that said you've been kicked out. Missed the whole point. Punitive. They wanted to hurt me, I guess, rather than help me as a new believer in Christ. If just one person had taken the time to call and say, hey, you haven't been coming. I would have said, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to a new church now. I'm going to a new school. One of the things I had to do is practical Christian ministry. I didn't think I could do it at your church. I felt like a small person in a big old sort of mega church setting. And here I am at a smaller church where I feel I can actually do something. They would have said, oh, that's great. Did you know you can transfer your membership? I would have said, I didn't know that because I didn't. And things would have been different. I've been kicked out of a church. Before a whole church, everybody voted on me to be kicked out because I wasn't a covenant person. And and that's what we think is here, but it's not. What Jesus is trying to say is this. Listen, go tell it to the church. Same idea. When you tell it to the church, then the church turns around and pursues that brother or sister who's begin to wander away. It's kind of like this. If in my family, my niece, let's say, was really sick and had cancer, and uh, only my brother and sister-in-law kept it to themselves in the family. Let's not tell anybody that she has cancer, okay? Let's just keep it to ourselves. That would be foolishness. What do we do when that happens? We tell everybody. Why? Because we want everybody to come around, circle the wagons, love, strengthen, and encourage, and do whatever it takes To help our niece get through this. In a similar manner, if someone in this church, whether you know them or not, has begun to fall away and drift away from God, it's part of our responsibility as every one of us as an extended family to pursue them in some way, shape, or form to say, Hey, man, we really love you. We really care for you. And we want to see you stay with this family. Be a part of this family and continue to follow Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. He isn't saying, tell the church so everybody can go, oh, yeah, I knew that guy. He had some weaknesses. I'm glad he's gone. Now the church is better off. That's not the idea. Jesus really, really wants to see restoration. Fourth step that he takes is this. He says, really, literally, uh, treat them, verse 17, as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Immediately, everyone thinks, what? Yeah, see, Jesus really does want to get rid of them. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Anyone want to give an idea about that one? Yeah, he came to seek and save that which was lost. We don't kick him out of the church and say, I'm through with you. Yeah, there comes a point where we say, in terms of fellowship, you're not following Christ anymore. Yes. Yes. We're not going to have your membership here because what you're telling us is Christ doesn't matter to you. This family doesn't matter to you. And even though you're no longer a member, we will still pursue you because we still love you. You know, when I got kicked out of that church after that phone call, when I told them I was at another church, no one even ever came around to see how I was doing. How do they know I was at another church? They don't because they didn't care. Our church community life pastor, I really would like us to see challenging one another, admonishing one another, getting up to people and saying, listen, I see this in your life, and I really love you, and I don't want to see you fall away, and I don't want to see you drift away. I don't want to see troubles in your family. I don't want to see troubles in your business. I don't want to see you in trouble at all. I'm going to pursue you and make sure that things are made right. That's the thrust of what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying ultimately that relationships in the body of Christ, in the people of God, in the church are important. They are so important that we should pursue right relationships all the time. And so if you see your brother sinning or if your brother has sinned against you, go after him, hunt him down in any way, shape, or form, and seek if you can get that relationship straightened out. And if they, right then and there, say everything is good and it gets straightened out, that is the best blessing that's possible. If it doesn't work, take two or three witnesses. Hopefully that'll straighten things out. If it doesn't, then go to the whole church. And if the whole church can't drown them in love and still they refuse and want to go their way, let them go, but still pursue them and love them. Because they're still family. That's really what Jesus is trying to get across here. And then here in verse 18, what he's going to say is this. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And the idea here, Jesus is saying, listen. As agents of reconciliation, if you go to your brother and sister and they refuse after all of this to come and follow then you bind that. In other words, you cannot extend forgiveness to them fully and completely. You can extend it, but if they don't receive it, it's not been extended. That's kind of a weird theological way of looking at that. You can extend it, but it is bound. So they still walk around in unforgiveness. But if they repent as agents of reconciliation by the authority of God, the Father in heaven, and Christ himself, if you loose it, it has been loosed. It's been forgiven. And that's ultimately the place where Jesus wants to bring all of us to experience the power of forgiveness. That when we have sinned or been sinned against or when we're confronting someone who has sinned or sinned against us, the whole idea is that there is a freedom that we can extend to them if repentance occurs. If repentance does not occur as much as we want to give them and see them receive it, if they do not, it is still bound. I think it gets to a place where we can also understand that as individuals, when we know that we bind things in our hearts and are unwilling to extend forgiveness, that sin destroys relationship. And restoration is going to be needed and there will be great loss. And this accumulated wealth that Christ wants us to have in the spiritual realm cannot be accumulated because it is still bound. Loose it. Let it go. Let it be free. And let's be wealthy and rich together. Now, let me finish with this. Ooh, sorry, Stefan, I'm a little short. appreciate that you reminded me of that. Let me finish with this, though. There's absolutely, positively, no way today here that everyone has a right relationship with everyone. It's just no way. Whether it's husband and wife, parent, child, best friends since childhood or whatever it is, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there are a few relationships at least that need some reconciling. Someone has sinned against you and you've been holding on to it. Someone has sinned against you and uh, you guys have had the fight of your lives. Someone has sinned against you. You've taken some witnesses or whatever it is, but there are broken relationships here today. And we are losing as long as those relationships are still broken. You're losing. The other person on the other side of the relationship is losing. The church is losing. And the world is losing. Because the fullness that God wants to extend to us cannot be extended until there is right relationships that exist. With that in mind, I do not think that you can leave here in good conscience today, knowing that that is what's going on in your heart, and say, I'm going to walk out of here today because I am just through with this person. That's not humility. I think Jesus would say, no matter how far you have strayed, I am never through with you. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4, as we've been forgiven. By God, in Christ, do the same to one another is what we need to do today. It may be a first step. That brother or that sister might look at you and say, no, I hate your guts and there's no way I'm going to do this. I'm not saying that's fine, but I think God is calling several of us to take that step and say, I am going to hunt you like a dog after rabbit." On a hot summer day. And I want to see that relationship restored. It's not going to be easy. May not be the same. But I will pursue you. And if it doesn't work one on one. Then you know in good conscience. You cannot leave here. Or come back even next week and say. I did my part. I'm done. But to actually have other people go with you. And see that get reconciled. I think this is serious business. Jesus is about relationships. Jesus really cares. About his family. I can tell you as a parent of five, I in no way, shape, or form enjoy when my children are angry with each other. I love it when they are at peace with one another. I love it when we get together and they're laughing and they're having a good time together and they're enjoying one another. And what I love does not compare to what God loves, how much more so when his whole family is together in unity. Fair enough? What I want us to do is bow our heads and close our eyes, and I don't want to have a pianist up here just yet, or a song, but I really want to give you guys just a few minutes to really stop and think and say, okay, do I want to accumulate wealth and make this relationship right sometime today, or do I just want to continue to enjoy loss? Oh, how wonderful it is to see spiritual riches go through my fingers as though they mean nothing. Take a few minutes. And if you're at a place where you're thinking like, man, I am so angry, I can't do it. Ask God for help. And I want to encourage you, if I'm that person that you're mad at, please come to me and say, dude, you have hurt me and you don't even know it. And I don't even think you care. But I would rather have you hurt me than you continue to be stuck in any form of bitterness or anger.